Over the last four decades, women's incarceration rate has grown 800%. Almost every woman we employ is a mom. And so when you think about the impact of incarcerating a mother on the family, that has a ripple effect that's gonna last way beyond her incarceration. When a woman returns to the community, then what she has to do is deal with the judgment that is placed on her for having left her children, often trying to reestablish relationship with her family and her children in particular, while also dealing with the shame and embarrassment of her past. They don't believe they're worthy of having a better life. So if we do one thing during the time that they're employed by us, that would make sure a woman is successful. I think it's really to help her realize that she is worthy. I'm your host, Michelle King, and you're listening to The Fix, a podcast that shares the stories of remarkable people who are innovating and taking action to advance equality in the workplace and beyond. The number of people incarcerated in America today is more than four times larger than it was in 1980. The criminal justice system disproportionately impacts poor black men and women. The experiences of women, as well as trans and non-binary people, are all too often lost because men comprise the vast majority of the incarcerated population. But new research is shedding light on the injustices faced by women and LGBTQ people behind bars, as well as issues like money bail and family separation, which disproportionately affect women. Currently, there are 231,000 women locked up in the United States. And while women make up just 10% of the total incarcerated population, women's incarceration rates are continuing to grow at a faster rate than men's. On today's episode, Tamara Ryan will share the difficulties women face re-entering society and the working world after serving jail time. She'll also share her work to humanize re-entry through employment and what each of us can do to tackle the current flaws in the correction system. When women are released from jail or prison, they're often ill-equipped to re-encounter and address the serious problems they faced prior to incarceration like victimization and unstable family life, difficulties in school, limited work experience, poverty, substance abuse, mental health issues, and parenting difficulties. Women also tend to face new concerns upon re-entering society, like legal issues, financial restitution, or the trauma they experienced while incarcerated. The work that we do is helping women overcome barriers to employment. And barriers can look like a lot of things. And one thing I know for sure is that they don't happen singularly. Barriers are complicated and interwoven. But when an individual has a felony background, has spent time in prison, in women's cases in the U.S., it's often because of addiction. And so all the things that first led to that addiction, whether that was growing up in poverty, dropping out of school, becoming a teenage parent, and being not very employable because she doesn't have work experience, because she doesn't have a very high education level, you know, all of those things then start to compound. When someone is put then into prison, the goal 
really in prison was intended to reform someone so that they were former inmates. And what has happened is that our system really continues to punish people even after they're released. And what that looks like is things such as requirements that make it really hard to keep a job. So one of the requirements that often happens is, is someone who has a history of addiction and whose felony is related to that addiction is they're often required to show up for a drug test at a moment's notice. So they have to call every day for what's called their color. So let's say my color is orange. Every day I have to call in to a number. And if it says orange, that's the day I have to show up for a drug test. Well, I have to show up before 5 p.m. because that's when it closes. That means that then I have to tell my employer that I have to leave early, potentially why I have to leave early, and then show up for that drug test. If I don't show up for that drug test, that would be a violation of my parole and could get me in trouble. Other things that happen are women having appointments with parole officers where they have to wait a couple hours to see their parole officer. Meanwhile, they're missing work. They've had to tell their employer why they're leaving. Uh, it, you know, there are just so many things that compound that really interfere with the women's ability to get and keep employment. And that's, you know, if she can get a job to begin with. There are many, many employers who would not consider hiring somebody with a felony background. And so, you know, to start with, there aren't very many places they can get jobs. And then there are many reasons why it's hard to keep those jobs. Women often become involved with the justice system as a result of efforts to cope with life's challenges, such as poverty, unemployment, and significant physical or behavioral health struggles. Most are jailed for low-level non-violent offenses, yet women in prison have a lot more to lose than men. Most of them lose their homes, being unable to pay their rent. They lose their children, as only 32% of children are looked after by fathers or grandmothers. The vast majority of women are deserted by their family, and when they come out, they have to contend with the double stigma, as women are stigmatized both for being an offender and for being a mother unable to care for her children. Here, Tamara shares more on this. Women's Bean Project has been around for 31 years, so we've really actually seen the change in women's incarceration rates. Over the last four decades, women's incarceration rate has grown 800%. So we have seen the change in our community in terms of the increased numbers of women who are incarcerated. Almost every woman we employ is a mom, and she has an average of three children. And so when you think about the impact of incarcerating a mother on the family, that has a ripple effect that's going to last way beyond her incarceration and last into the future. When a woman returns to the community, then what she has to do is deal with the judgment that is placed on her for having left her children. And we know that society puts a greater burden on a mother for leaving their children than a father. So she's often trying to reestablish relationship with her family and her children in particular, while also dealing with the shame and embarrassment of her past. And I think, honestly, I think women are much more vulnerable to those feelings. And so all of those feelings often set them up for a relapse or, you know, having a really hard time with success. That's what I see when women first start working for us. Often they're recently released or 
through a relationship we have with the Department of Corrections in Colorado, we're hiring women on work release in their last few months of incarceration. And the number one challenge I see is that they don't believe they're worthy of having a better life. So if we do one thing while during the time that they're employed by us, that would make sure a woman is successful, I think it's really to help her realize that she is worthy. She's worthy of having a job that where someone will value her. She's worthy of having a relationship with her family and her, her kids in particular. And she's worthy of having a better life. Overall, Black and Hispanic women are markedly overrepresented in prisons and jails. Incarcerated women are 53% white, 29% Black, and 14% Hispanic. While we're a long way from having data on intersectional impacts of sexuality and race or ethnicity on women's likelihood of incarceration, it is clear that Black and lesbian or bisexual women are disproportionately subject to incarceration. Here, Tamara shares why adopting an intersectional approach is key to removing the barriers to employment. We believe that all women have the power to transform their lives through employment. So we start with that premise, and then we do the work that needs to be done to help her identify her talents and skills so that she can move into employment. If she has a job, a lot of other things can be resolved. So every person we serve comes to us with their unique challenges. We try to ensure that the program is fit for each woman. So we're not a, this is exactly how we do it. And everybody is a, you know, a square peg and has to fit into the round hole of women's being project. We really are working with each individual to determine what their personal issues are. Again, those barriers to employment look different for everyone, whether someone is transgender or comes from the LGBTQ community or is cisgender and comes to us, but she has a history of addiction. I mean, every person's challenges are real and need to be addressed. And so I think that having a program that's a one-size-fits-all would do a disservice to this variety that we see. Every individual has their own journey. And I think the realization of that journey and working with them for a period of time to pursue their better life, I think is really the key, regardless of where they come from. Homelessness is the greatest predictor of involvement with the juvenile justice system. And since the LGBTQ youth pose 40% of the homelessness youth population, they're at an increased risk of incarceration. Here, Tamara shares how the cycle of incarceration works and what she's doing to fix it. What I see is that often it's a cycle that's being repeated. I can't tell you how many times I've had women say to me, when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone who worked. And when you think about that, if someone grows up with no role models for employment, how do we expect that they could figure it out on their own? And so I think that what the biggest challenge is what we're seeing right now in the younger generation is the manifestation of the incarceration of parents earlier. So breaking up families through incarceration is what is causing these challenges for the younger generation. And the hardest thing to do is to break that cycle. We are focused on barriers that keep someone from being able to work. But those barriers look like a lot of different things. 
when women start with us, they typically have between a third and a seventh grade reading level, for instance. So we have a reading and math program that the women go through so that at a minimum, she can write a coherent note to her supervisor, perhaps, or in a work situation, she can do some basic math skills. Those things would be barriers to keeping a job, but they're not often the things that we think about. They also focus on developing a resume and a cover letter and then a letter of explanation, which is important because if a woman has a criminal background, we want to make sure that not only does she know how to talk about that with a future employer, but she also understands what's on her background. Because often there are things on someone's background check that they don't even know are there and they don't realize, but would be a hindrance to getting a job. All of these things combined are part of the program so that at the end of the six to nine month period, women are transitioning to what we call a career entry level job in the community. That's going to be a job with an opportunity for advancement and benefits and frankly, where the employer cares that she comes to work every day. It's It's probably going to be different from any job she's ever had. The Women's Bean Project hires women with histories of incarceration and homelessness, women who are ex-GAN members or former addicts with multiple felonies, and puts them to work manufacturing gourmet food items. But more importantly, the Women's Bean Project also focuses on the mental, physical, and emotional health of the women participating in the program. Over the past 17 years, Tamara has transformed the lives of nearly a 1,000 women providing them with access to employment. We hire women for a full-time job in our food manufacturing business. We're called Women's Bean Project because we started with one bean soup mix in 1989. And today we have roughly 50 different food products that we sell all across the country in both retail stores and then online. And the purpose of the business is to provide work for women who we hire to go through a program 70% of their paid time is spent working in the business in some way, and 30% is in program activities. Those program activities, there is a curriculum that she is going through that really is focused on addressing the soft skills that keep someone from being able to get and keep employment. So that is the focus. And even if women have additional needs, we would partner with organizations across the community to address those needs. We are focused on barriers that keep someone from being able to work. Finally, Tamara shares what each of us can do to give women a second chance. It can be hard, and we have to remember, those of us who are in the world of trying to change the hearts and minds of employers, is that every hiring manager is a person, is an individual, and every person has a mother. When you change a woman's life, you change her family's life. So our larger mission is really to change the hearts and minds of employers to hire based on talent and potential rather than background. It's going to take, you know, one employer at a time. But I think that in the long run, as we welcome returning citizens to our community, we will have a better understanding of how they can make a contribution. And really, it's going to, you know, like everything, it's going to happen one employer at a time. The most important thing that each of us as individuals can do is to check our biases and prejudices. I can speak from personal experience that 
prior to coming to the Beam Project, what I used to think of someone who was incarcerated. And then I had the opportunity to sit across the table from many, many women who had spent time in prison. And I realized that except for the accident of birth, we were really no different. So it's opening our hearts and minds again to the idea that there really is no difference between us, that we've all made poor choices. Some of us had greater consequences for those poor choices than others. I think that's really ultimately what's going to change us is realizing that we bring to most situations biases and prejudices that often aren't fair and are not deserved. Everyone deserves a second chance, especially after serving time. But clearly, the challenges women face are different. And to remove the barriers women face re-entering the employment market after serving time, we have to acknowledge these challenges. Every employer can check their biases and prejudices by considering women who have served their time for opportunities within their organisation. And each of us can support organisations like the Women's Bean Project by donating our time, money and resources. Before you go, just a quick reminder that you can get a copy of my book, The Fix, or the electronic or audible version from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Audible, or at all major retailers. In reading The Fix, you'll learn how gender inequality creates barriers to women's advancement at work, and how it also creates challenges to men's fulfillment. Most importantly, you'll learn what you can do to navigate and remove these obstacles and begin to make your workplace work for everyone. So get your copy today and let me know what you think by leaving a review on Amazon. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you all again next week.